As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer and all right, welcome into the latest edition to hear that podcast. Growlin, Paul Andrew Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you here on a Tuesday. Is it Tuesday, Jay? It is. For It is definitely Tuesday. No, it's good. It's, good it's hard to, to keep track. It is hard to keep track anymore. Like Vacations are coming. You're off to Arizona next week for the owners' meetings. Yes. Um, Beautiful Arizona. Congratulations to you on that. Yeah, uh, looking forward to it. One of the one of the few times get to speak with ownership. Uh, Katie Blackburn and company. Um, Caroline and Elizabeth Blackburn. Troy. Uh, PB. Uh, Paul Brown. All going to be out there. So um, good chance to catch up with them. One of the few times we hear from them. So that episode, we're gonna have all all kinds of stuff on that coming next week. How are we doing, Jay? Doing great. Doing really good. Uh, my my new gift to myself came this weekend. My Oh, there it is. <laughs> Freaking the sheets. The Excel spreadsheets coffee mug. Very excited about that. Very lucky that I don't take cream in my coffee because it's a it's a smaller cup than I thought it would be. And one Keurig cup just about goes to the rim of this this coffee cup. I thought I was going to have to send it back, but. Uh, I'm good. I just can't stir the sugar too vi- vigorously. I, it kind of makes me wish that you would have had a spreadsheet and Excel deep dive here <laughs> on this episode. And what we don't have a deep Excel spreadsheet dive planned, but I'm sure we'll come I, up with something as we, we get tangents going here where you're like, wait, I got a spreadsheet on that. I, I do have a spreadsheet for this. I, I It's not a deep one, but it is. It's about op- free agency options and they are in a spreadsheet. Well, of course, I have a spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet in front of myself right now with the Bengals roster. It's got a couple of big holes on it, uh, <laughs> and we're going to discuss those a little later in the show. We're going to talk about running back. We're going to talk about tight end, where they go next as the options dwindle and you start to figure out what the other plans maybe are. Uh, but we're going to talk a, a lot about the safety room. We met Nick Scott yesterday, introduced to the media, talked to Rob Livingston, DB's coach. Um, about what's going on in that room, Nick Scott, Dax Hill. We're going to bring you a little bit uh, from them uh, as we we you know kind of w- go through that position a little bit as they 
shore that up. Um, we're going to reset the draft a little later. And thanks to everybody that's here watching on YouTube. Uh, good to have you here. Um, if you guys have questions that you'd like us to maybe get to towards the end of the show, drop them in here in the comments. Uh, and we will, if there's some ones that we want to try to delve into, uh, we'll try to do that at the end of the show here and take a few of your questions. So thanks everybody for showing up on YouTube and, uh, already a Jonah question. I knew it. It doesn't take long. I mean, (laughs) it's going to be, it's going to be the way it's going to go. It's going to be, there's a a lot of, there's going to be a lot of shrugs, uh, coming on that as, as it plays itself out. Um, I think we might be talking about it for a long time. Mm. Uh, all right. Uh, I have a story up on the behind the scenes of Orlando Brown's, uh, signing. Thank you. We talked about it. Um, on the Saturday show, so you can go back and listen to that. We talked a little bit about that. Um, there's a ton in there. Uh, if you have a chance to give it a read, uh, please do. Uh, I had fun. I'm gonna. I'm saving for Arby's some of the responses and what <laughs> happened. In, what has happened in some of the con- comments and replies section as that story Ooh. became a thing. Did you uh, read the comments? I have been told many of the comments. I poked <laughs> around in the comments. I certainly saw what was happening on Twitter. Um, but so I, I normally don't. But as I was like, within two hours, how are there 90 comments already? I was <laughs> trying to figure out what happened. And what happened was actually quite funny. Um, I have a story up on Nick Scott. Uh, some stuff that we'll talk about here in a minute about just sort of the fit he ends up being as you kind of get to know a little bit more of, of his background and personality. Um, we have a mock draft coming beat writer mock draft. I haven't picked yet, Jay. I'm waiting. It's going on yeah. in the background. Um, of uh, on 12 Slack. hour gap. It's a number it's 20. Quite, they're kind of waiting to get that baby going. <laughs> There's a lot of people like, Hey, can we start picking this? So uh, this would not go over well for the TV stations if they were trying to pull <laughs> this off live. Uh, so don't know who I'm going to pick yet, but it'll be up tomorrow. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. I always love that. A great exercise to get a real feel beat writers on the mm. ground, have such a feel for exactly where their team would go. And so uh, we really get a good feel for what the first round is going to look like. Look for that tomorrow. Uh, all right. Uh, Nick Scott introduced Max Sharping re-signed uh, still no tight end or running back is kind of the top news items at this point. Um, but Jay, let's start with Nick Scott. Uh, we, he came in <clears throat> press conference yesterday Initial takeaway for you from that? Well, I, I would like to say I, I was blown away by his by his personality and his demeanor, but we were given a heads up by Jordan Rodriguez, <laughs> who, who yeah. covers the Rams uh, for us, and and she she just told us what a home run pick he would be for us as a character guy in the locker room. But still, just even like I know people don't really care about that and how, how these guys make our jobs easier, but it, it does come into play with this team and just a lot of the, the things he said about, um, and, and you wrote it in your article, the way he embraced special teams coming into this league. And I mean, it was unreal. He played 80% of the special team snaps as a rookie. And then it went to 75. And then last year when he started, it was down to 22, even though he became a starter, he was still playing. I'm sorry. He's 24. He's almost playing a, a quarter of the, the special team snaps, even as a full-time starter. Um, I just, he's the, the kind of guy that you want that, that this organization wants that, that 
doesn't, and you, it, I know it, it's almost become cliche at this point, but but doesn't love what football can do for him. Just loves football, the process of it, the grind, um, all of that. And it was it was great. It, it went long for one of those things. It it went longer than normal, and you never got the sense like he was getting uneasy. His son, his three month old son, was getting uneasy. He was getting a little chatty <laughs> in the back of the room. That too. I don't ever remember. I know draft picks sometimes come in with family. I don't ever remember a free agent coming in with uh, with a, a child and, and a wife. And so that was really cool to see. Um, but I do. I We'll see how he fits on the field and how he plays. But right now, this feels like a great pick. Yeah. I mean, Nick's got – he comes through the door pushing the stroller with the pumpkin seat in it and the diaper bag tossed into that and his <laughs> wife behind with the three-month-old. Uh, you know, I – and I thought, you know, his, his his son Jackson he calls Jack Jack, which I appreciate. Uh, but I I just there was something about the maturity here, and just a guy who it's everything that you want, and that has been such a fit when you talk about his background as a seventh round dude that just worked his way up. Um, Rob Livingston talked about that. And and just sort of the nature of of being this self make. I want to bring you some of our conversation, Bengals DBs coach Rob Livingston, on that topic in particular. Uh, pick up with him talking about uh, just who who Nick Scott is and 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 how that personality plays into him getting the most out of himself as he takes the next step in his career. Again, you're talking about a guy who has had to earn every inch of the NFL he's had. You know, you're a seventh-round pick. You're a non-combine guy. Um, those guys aren't supposed to make it, much less make second contracts. Um, so I think it's a testament to, he, to who he is, excuse me, what he's about, um, the doors that he's already knocked down. Um, you know, again, he shouldn't be here. And to his credit, he is. And um, that should let you know kind of the toughness and the, and the mental fortitude that he has for sure. It sounds, sounds like, like Mike sounds Hilton. Like it does. It sounds a lot like Mike Hilton. I think uh, those guys – uh, you talked about physicality. I think that's one of the first things that jumps out with you, Mike. Uh, those guys will, will will get along just just great. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, if you told anybody take Mike Hilton but make him your safety uh, <laughs> as a type of player, you'll take it. And and it's hard not to see those similarities. I mean, Mike mm-hmm. Hilton was a guy who earned everything in Pittsburgh and really was coming into his own and had a lot of people in Pittsburgh were really sad and, and kind of feeling like, ah, oh, how did you let Hilton go? You can see the trajectory of his career and getting the most out of already a solid athletic profile and all that stuff. It's hard not to think that same thing when you look at what Nick Scott was for the Rams. Or, I mean, there's something about somebody who, who comes from the depths like this. And non-combine, he shouldn't be here. You hear Rob say it. He shouldn't be here. And guys that are here, those are the dudes that succeed in the NFL. And now you take somebody who just had a full season starting plus a playoff run where he played well under his belt that he was good. I mean, this was not somebody who looked out of place and you're still coming into your own. You know it's somebody who always is getting the most out of themselves it's it's hard. I thought when Hilton got brought up, it really I think it made the light bulb go off of that's exactly what they see here. Trajectory wise, personality wise, leadership wise, um, 
can can be just like that. And man, wouldn't you sign up for that 10 times out of 10? Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't want to I don't want to say he's going to be better than Hilton, but you you look, I mean when Mike came in, yes, he came in as an undrafted free agent, but he was he was making an impact on defense right away. He 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 played a lot. He started a handful of games when they would start in nickel. And it was different with Scott. I mean, his his rise is just now starting cuz I mean, who knows? May if if Jordan Fuller doesn't get hurt in that in that regular season finale in 2021, maybe he never becomes a starter. But he yeah. get, that Fuller gets Fuller gets hurt in the the season finale. Nick Scott's first start is in a playoff game, and in, in that playoff run, he, he ends up having an interception. He has a forced fumble, which got overturned uh, by a penalty on a, a, away from the ball. But he starts all four games. They win a they win a Super Bowl. He, he starts the entire season last year. It, it feels like yes, there's a trajectory there, but it's it's not just a straight. It was kind of plateaued, and now. Now it is just now starting to climb. And, you know, I don't, I maybe like with Mike Hilton, I think the Bengals knew what they were getting. Uh, they hope they know what they're getting with, with Nick Scott, but they might even the, the same case with Mike get more than what they think they're getting. Um, there, there is so much that's, that's kind of unproven here. Once he settles in and has a couple years under his belt as a starting safety, who knows how good he can be. If you would have told the Bengals, the day that they signed Mike Hilton, that in a couple of years their head coach will be calling him the best slot cornerback in football. <laughs> I don't think they. I th- I think they would have agreed that they expected that outcome. I think they yeah. expected good things, but to expect that outcome, and I think it's the same type of thing here. When you bring in guys that have earned it and that are dedicated to it, you tend to get surprised and maybe get more, and that's what they're betting on at. Three years, twelve million with easy outs after. T- I mean, this is a nothing contract, guys. I mean, this is a this is a low end betting on the ascension and that thing. You mm-hmm. the idea being that is going to look like one of the best bargains in a year, uh, and it already does. If, if even if he just starts in as a solid safety for all of the season. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's one other thing that happened. Richard Skinner, our good friend over at Channel 12, asked this. And Skinny was asked about at Penn State coming in as a running back and eventually switching over to safety. You know, going from offense to defense, not normally something that a college student wants to do, especially if you're one you're carrying the ball. Like, But the move, I thought his response to it was really 
interesting. Here was Skinny asking Nick Scott about the move that he made at Penn State and a little bit more insight into personality behind the guy. Nick, when you were asked to change positions in college, how reluctant were you to that or how much did you embrace that? And how much are you maybe still learning the position? Oh, I wasn't reluctant at all. I went, I called Coach Franklin and was like, hey, you, st- you still need a safety. Um, you know, I was playing a lot of special teams and it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to be the guy at running back. So, you know, I just made the call and was like, hey, I think I could serve the team better if I'm working on tackling every day as a safety and going out and playing teams rather than, you know, being a running back and then flip-flopping and going back and forth like that. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I feel good about the knowledge I have at safety. You know, obviously we're all still learning, um, and then I'm excited to keep learning, um, and I'm open to keep learning. So, What was that like the, the first three years, you know, playing only special teams? Like, no mm-hmm. a seventh-round pick was – was there ever a thought of, is this going to happen before you took over as a starter during the playoff run? Um, I mean, well, to answer the first part of the question, it was extremely fun. Um, you know, being a seventh-round draft pick, I knew exactly what my uh, initial role in the league was going to be, and that was going to be special teams. So I was on top of the world. I was having fun week in and week out. And, you know, I was fortunate to be a rookie that was um, active and on the field every single game. So... And I just looked at it as a tremendous blessing and um, having access to, you know, top tier DBs and everything like that. I was able to just kind of chip away at, at my game and, you know, soak up whatever I could and, and become a better safety. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just look at it as, as an extreme blessing. I don't ever, um, you know, think to myself like, man, I was just special teams for three years or anything like that. Football is football. At the end of the day, I was having a ton of fun. Uh, I love that too, Jay, your mm-hmm. question. And, and you know, that on top of the world, extremely fun. I'm a special <laughs> teamer, you know, but, but the embracing of whatever your role, I mean, it should, that's why guys succeed is because they're in the present. They're in another, they have the ability to attack every single day and, mm-hmm. and enjoy the process. When they, when you talk about, all the cliches they spill to us that it's not knowing the cliches and the end game of personality that you want is not hard. It's recognizing it and seeing where it comes from and, and who has it and stuff, comments like that conversation topics like that, I think show where you've got the type of person that will fit perfectly in the Island of misfit toys that they have loved being in that secondary. They've lived on that attitude. Cheetah Bay Wuzier, who Dallas didn't want uh, and was kind of poo-pooed out of town. Mike Hilton, the, the kid that Pittsburgh let go. Um, and, and Bell was that, too, from New Orleans. I mean, Eli Apple was that when he was here, the guy that nobody wanted. They have thrived on this as being the, the ones that were counted out, that worked their way up. And Nick Scott, boy, if he doesn't fit uh, square peg and square hole right into all of that. Um, it's it's crazy. The only, the only one that doesn't fit is maybe Dax Hill because he's a first-round pick who yeah. is thought to come in and be the star. Maybe he's kind of in that Jesse Bates role uh, who's a little bit more the star, although Bates had a whole lot of that to him too as a second-round guy coming out of Wake Forest. Other thing about this is before we get into Dax, and this is important here, is the makeup of the safety room now. We discussed this. Jay, I mean, these guys – are so athletic. They're so much more athletic than they were. And, you know, you go, whether you're talking about uh, our good friend, Math Bomb, uh, over at the Relative Athletic Score, who we had on the podcast last year talking about this elite 
athletic profiles of Tyson Anderson at 9.49 out of 10, uh, which is a an elite level. Dax Hill, 9.04, also elite level. And Nick Scott, also in the nines at 9.23 elite level. How rare is that, Jay? I mean, the, the, the speed that they're running with in 40s, I mean, they're just not – you just don't see – um, teams with this kind of a safety room where everybody no. is a freak athlete. Well, yeah, and it's not just the safety room; it's that it's that whole DB group because you for, from 2019, the, the year that Nick was drafted, and, and let's not forget well, he he didn't get to play defense much as a rookie. He was he was all special teams. Don't forget that he joined the defending NFC champions. I mean, he went to a really good Rams team, a team that held the Patriots to what 13 points in that Super Bowl. So they had a good defense and he was able to crack in as as a as a special teamer. He didn't go to the combine that year. Uh so he he's not on this list, but since 2019 through 2022, there were 27 DBs that ran a 4.38 or faster at the combine. The Bengals drafted three of them last year. Tyson Anderson, 4.36. Dax and Cam Taylor Britt, both 4.38. Um, Nick Scott ran a 4.45 at his pro day. Like I said, he didn't run at the combine because he wasn't invited. Um, but that's that's moving. And even you look at Cheeto. You all the way back to two, 2017, Cheeto ran a 4.4 at the combine. You know, it's I'm sure... He might be a little slower now, you know, six years later. But that's, I mean, for a guy like Lou that takes what he has and in, in interchanging and and doing those kind of things, yes, it's going to take a while for these guys to to get up to speed where Vaughn and Jesse were in terms of mentally uh, grasping the entirety of the scheme. But to to have that kind of raw athleticism back there, that's that that just plays right into Lou's hands, where he can he can mix and match and switch and do all that kind of stuff that t- confuses defense. All the the p- showing one thing pre snap and then switching right before the snap. Um, it, it's going to be a fun defense to watch. And yeah, they'll, they'll probably get burned here or there. There's going to be mistakes that happens with young guys, um, but just the the potential that that athleticism has is is really intriguing. Yep. Um, since 2018, so. Um Last five drafts, 38 safeties have come off the board um, with a RAS score of nine or higher. Now the Bengals have three of those (laughs) with Scott Anderson and Dax Hill. So Dax Hill, let's just touch on him while we're talking about the safety room. We got a chance to talk to Rob Livingston a little bit about where they're at with him. And he's clearly taking over as a guy. This is no secret. And again, I've said this. You, you're talking about a first-round draft pick who this team was in love with getting, who played really well in the preseason. I don't know why people don't talk more about how well he played in the pre. He looked mm-hmm. like he looked like a starter amongst backups, which is exactly what he was. Yep. Last year in the preseason, he had flashes, and when he got opportunities, his opportunities were rare. He was learning every position in the background, um, and some of it wasn't good as he was forced to play slot or outside corner uh, instead of safety. Now he can focus on one position and be in there. He's coming his second year. He's comfortable in the league. He's got – I just think they're in a good spot with Dax Hill. I think there's, there seems to be a negativity around him. Um, I know last year was hard on him. I mean, he wanted to play more. He was frustrated by having to learn all these positions, and you're, you're a guy who's been a guy. You're a first-round pick, 
Everybody mm-hmm. around you is out there making big impacts. You want to show up and be rookie of the year, right? He couldn't even get on the field because of what's going on in this position. It's hard on a guy. So I asked Rob Livingston about that specifically and about Dax Hill. Um, here's his answer. In, in regards to Dax, how, how much was managing, and when you talk to him in exit meetings, managing his mental of not really getting to play as much as he probably wanted to his rookie year, a part, a part of your job and your guys' relationship evolving, and what's the next step of, of that and him gaining confidence after a year that probably didn't go as much as he would have liked to on yeah. the field? <clears throat> you know, as we talked about, this is a people business, so um, you have to kind of know the person and know kind of how they operate and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a funny story. So, you know, last training camp was what it was. Dax is starting free safety and had a really good camp, and, um, you know, Jess shows up, and Jess obviously had a phenomenal year. He's a phenomenal player. So we're playing Pittsburgh. I think it was the first third down of the game. Um, so we put dime out there, so Dax is out there. So, uh, unfortunately, they converted. So for the first time in his life, he's got to run off the field. And you can just see, like, the wheels turning, like, okay, Okay, it's first and ten. Like, no, 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 dude. Like, you got to come off. Like, you're not out there anymore. Um, so packages were different. I mean, little things. And I know that sounds stupid, but yeah. like, when you go from being a full time starter your whole life to now you're a reliever, right? It's the bottom of the seventh. You're coming in. There's two outs, and and you got to get a guy out, right? I mean, that, that's a different lifestyle for for people. So. You know, he'll admit it. I mean, there were some highs. Obviously, the play he made at the end of the New Orleans game was phenomenal. Um, had some other really good plays, and there were some lows. I mean, that is what it is. You're a rookie. Uh, so it's a good starting point. Um, you know, selfishly, I'm happy that the highs were good and the lows were bad. So that, hey, dude, I, I got a chip on my shoulder, and away we go. So I, I got a lot of, you know, stresses and worries in my life, and he's not one of them. Yeah. Um, he was a first-round pick for a reason, so um, I'm super excited. He's got a lot. He's he, he, He's got a lot of stresses and worries in his life. What'd you say yesterday, Jay? I got 99 problems and a Dax ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. I mean, I, I think you're in a good, like, what What else do you want? I mean, you you want Jesse Bates and Von Bell. Yeah, that's not yeah. the way this team is going to be constructed going forward. The money is going to be put into premium offensive positions. It's not going to be put into safety. Um, and, and, and that's just part of who they are. And so guys like Dax and Nick Scott are sort of the ideal scenario for what you draw up ascending. And Dax Hill has everything you could possibly need to be a star quickly. Jesse Bates came in as a second round pick his rookie year and played fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I think Dax Hill has a step up on that. Having had the year in the background, the athletic profile that he has smart dude to come in and, and, and be just as effective and be a star quickly um, in his second year at one position. It's just such a big difference. I don't know, Jay, how, how, I don't know how often you talked to Dax last year, but anytime I did, I always got the sense of him rolling his eyes behind his head of like, yeah, I'm learning three positions at once mm-hmm. over here. Like, can I just play one? Can yeah. I just play my natural position? Understanding that's not the, where he's at, but uh, uh, this undercurrent of frustration of, man, I just I know I can go be great if I can just go do this one thing. I think there's going to be a freedom with him this year with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think he was smart enough not to to to, to – to hide that frustration a little bit. Like, yeah, you, you could see it, but a lot of guys, first round picks might grouse a little bit. And, and he never did that. And I'm sure there were conversations where, look, you know, this is the Jesse's not going to be here next year. This is going to be yours uh, moving forward after this. So I, I know patience is a hard thing for these young guys, but um, I, I do think he handled it 
really well. And I, I thought it was interesting that, that Rob picked out that New Orleans game, the play he made in the New Orleans at the end of the New Orleans game. That was what week five It was way back. I mean, the one in my mind was the, the playoff game yeah, against Austin Buffalo Knox. against Dawson Knox, who, you know, for so long that it was Trey flowers was the, the, the third down guy that would guard tight ends. And, um, I thought that was a big step for, for Dax to, to, go up and defend against a really physical and good tight end and make that key play. Um, that's the one that, that really stood out for me with, with, with him. Um, so I, I do, I, I think he's going to be fine. He's, I, I would guess, I don't know. I've never played, but what he went through last year and having to learn all those positions. I mean, you talk about the cerebral nature of, of Jesse Bates and Von Bell and understanding the entirety of the defense. I think that's going to help him I, being able to see the defense and, and the scheme and the responsibilities from all those different perspectives, even though he's going to be locked into more of one this year. Um, I, I, I would guess that's only going to help. Yeah. I mean, a year in, a year in the system, understanding it, you going through it in practice, knowing all the communication with the other positions, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just think he's in a really good spot, and I, I, they, I see a lot of negativity about Dax Hill out there, and I don't understand it. I, I think he's in a great spot, and I think he has a chance to be really good, really early. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I end up wrong about that. I mean, you know, Rob talked about that some of the lows were low, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I just think there's so much comfort coming back in year two for a guy, and now to have the extra comfort of the position that you feel is best suited for you that you're meant to play at that you felt really what really good about uh in camp last year and in preseason uh, i just think he's in a really great place 99 problems and dax ain't one you said it jay <laughs> all right let's just take a quick break when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, all right. So what's left? Okay. Safety is taken care of. I think the, I think what you see in that safety room is what you'll see on opening day. I think Dax Hill, Nick Scott, Michael Thomas, and Tyson Anderson. I mean, maybe there's a late round pick thrown in there or an undrafted free agent can break through. I think they like that room. That four. I think it's a solid four. You've got the the kids that can develop. Maybe Tyson Anderson becomes a guy. Like we don't know about Tyson Anderson at this point. Fifth round pick. Maybe he's George Iloka, where a guy who comes at from the fifth round and just boom, like I mean, he's got to be in the on the field. Um, or maybe he's just a great special teamer. We you, you don't we don't know about Tyson Anderson because he was out all last year. And they love Michael Thomas, captain, special teams, leader, yeah. all the things. I mean, they've got every box checked in there. I think safety's good. So what's left here? I got the two big holes on the roster in front of me here, Jay, and everybody knows mm-hmm. what they are. They're running back in tight end. Samaj P. Ryan leaves. They wanted to keep him. They felt like that was the plan, and they couldn't do it. He chose to go to Denver. Um, tight end still. Uh, so one of the, someone with the Bengals was joking with me yesterday about, uh, I hear you guys talking about the tight end room. Like, 
What the actual room? Because there's no people in it. <laughs> <laughs> Just Deb and Asiasi sitting there all by himself. Right? Yeah. It's, so there's no. I mean, there's no. Uh, the, there's there's no representation there at this point. It's still a blank slate. Um, let's start with running back. Everybody loves to start with running back, and and the Joe Mixon conversation continues to hang out there. Yeah. You know, as the options dwindle, you start to hit the reality of okay. Joe, Joe Mixon might still be in the plans here when you start talking about what's left. I mean, I was a little not surprised. I I thought they there might be more a run at Damian Harris who signed with the Bills. Mm-hmm. Seemed like he could have been a really nice fit, big back mold, been in a a, a share before, a solid pass protector when he's been asked to. Um, you know, seemed to make sense. Signs of the Bills. Um. Who's out? Kareem Hunt is out there. Um, Jared McKinnon. Like, there's you're you're really at the low of the low where nobody coming in is necessarily going to give you more juice um, than what Joe Mixon did in terms of you know free agents that are that are mm-hmm. actually out there now. So you start to talk about could Mixon be the guy? I I don't know. I. I... I guess it's still a, a possibility, but that that number just it, well, unless he's willing to take a pay cut, yes, yeah. But, I mean, but that he, has to change. Yeah, if he takes, if he's willing to do that, which we don't know that he would be, then yeah, absolutely, he he fits. But you know, you look at the guy. I, I the spreadsheet I referenced earlier. I looked at all the the running backs that are still available, and then went with the stat you like the the rushing yards over expected. Um, only. Five of the guys remaining even had enough uh, carries to qualify for for next-gen stats for this stat. Um, Kenyon Drake leads the way at Mm .73, and then it goes down to Kareem Hunt at .2. Latavius Murray at .14, but he's 33 years old. Zeke Elliott, minus .26, and Leonard Fournette, minus .36. So what – I mean, none of those – sound like great options. The the one intriguing one is Kareem Hunt because he is still he's only 27. Um and he's he's had kind of what the the Bengals like in their running backs. This is more coming out of college where they like the guys that have split carries and haven't had the big load. But ever since his rookie year in Kansas City, he has not had many carries at all. And and he's had production, but I mean for for a guy that's this far into his career um, not the wear and tear you would expect. I was surprised. I mean, Dante Foreman, who just signed on Saturday, one year, three million. I know. So does that that, that makes you wonder? Are are they even interested in try? Because Dante Foreman is twenty six. He'll be twenty seven by the start of camp. But that would fit right in their wheelhouse. So maybe maybe they are just figuring you you draft a guy and see what happens with Mixon or be you draft a guy and maybe sign a couple in undrafted free agency. I wonder too, with the the whole Mixon thing, like maybe they tried to get Deontay Foreman and these running backs don't have much interest in coming to Cincinnati because they see Joe Mixon still there and they wonder, well, how much of an opportunity am I going to get? So that, that probably plays into it as well. But um, how about a run passer boot on this? Sure. The, let's go. The the week one starter at running back for the Bengals is Joe Mixon, 
a veteran not currently on the roster or a draft pick slash undrafted free agent from this year's rookie class? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to boot veteran. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody. I, I mean, here, no. there's one name. There's one name that, that makes me pause here. And that's Clyde Edwards Hilaire, um, who's still under contract with the Chiefs. But the re- we've talked a lot about the potential reuniting with Joe Burrow, great mm-hmm. friends with Joe Burrow, great connection on the field with Joe Burrow, fallen out of favor in Kansas City. What are they going to do with him? He's in the fourth year of his rookie deal, 32nd overall pick in 2020 when Burrow came out. What happens there? I think – their lack of activity in the running back market to me suggests a plan that's not obvious um, beyond pick a guy, mm-hmm. right? And to me, that's the one that stands out, knowing the knowing the Burrow relationship, knowing how well they meshed on the field, knowing that he could be young and available and looking for an out. You wonder now how much is Kansas City looking to help the Bengals <laughs> if they know that the Bengals have Joe Burrow's best friend and running back made in a need at running back. They might just keep him on their practice squad, locked into their team all year and pay his nothing salary. You know, if the Bengals acquired him, it would only be two million dollars. You know, one year, two million for Clyde Edwards Hilaire, mm-hmm. 23 former first round draft pick, Joe Burrow's close friend. If they could get that. You better believe it. Now, I don't. They're not going to. You hard to see Kansas City wanting to make the Bengals better and trade them a, for a six round pick or something, right? Um, but do they just let them go? To me, that's the only other name that gives me pause. To not instantly boot vet when you consider what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll run with Mixon. I at this point, at least for the beginning of the year, if we're talking about opening day, I can think you can see by week four, six. Sev eight that a, a rookie mid round pick takes over, but not in. I don't think instantly, not with Joe on the roster if he's still there and you didn't have a big vet come in, which they don't right now. So I guess if I'm taking the bet, I'm going Mixon and uh, then a rookie. I'm passing on a rookie and I'm going to boot. I'm going to get rid of the least likely will be veteran. Yeah, I'll, I'll boot the veteran as well. I, I think I would run with rookie. I just I just don't know. Would would Joe be willing to take a pay cut? And I mean, how self-aware is he? Because when we talked about these these incidents uh, surrounding him, that, that that's not going to be. This is going to be a football based decision. That's not going to play into it. But if they do move on from him, I mean, if he's not, he's. He's not going to make twelve point eight million here. He's not going to make twelve point eight million anywhere. Question is: Is is he going to make whatever the Bengals want him to take in the form of a pay cut anywhere else? Because if the Bengals offer him, say, what four or five million this year on a restructure, does he think he can get more than that elsewhere? And I, I with that stuff swirl, swirling around him, that might impact that another team saying, uh, "Let's let's pause on this." So. Um, I, I, without knowing what the the, the structure is going to be, um, I, I'm just kind of basing it on generally when you ask a guy to take a pay cut, they say thanks, but no thanks. But there's more of that. I, I There has been more taking pay cuts around this league in the last True. month than I think I've ever remembered seeing. 
specifically mm-hmm. at the running back position because the market is cratered for that position. Aaron Jones, uh, uh, most notable amongst them. And, there, and they, he has not been alone. And there's been, we're like, man, another guy took a pay cut. Uh, you're, we're just never used to see that. I think it's an analysis of the market. What is the market for Joe Mixon? Right. And that's what he has to ask himself. Um, I want to bring his cash flow up here for people that are watching on YouTube. Um, you can see this from over the cap. It's important to remember how this was structured because people talk about the dead money, five and a half dead money if they let him go this year. From a Bengals cash perspective, they structured it to be pretty much even along the whole way. You know, $10 million in the first year. You're talking about a, a little below that in the second year, a little below that in the third year. He's collected $27 million. He's over just barely a little bit over 10 million each of the next two years in straight cash. That's what it is. Like the Bengals are looking at giving $20 million in cash to Joe Mixon in the next two years. They can just lop that off. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that is non-guaranteed. The guarantee was in the bonus that they put at the beginning that it shows up amongst dead money because it gets prorated over the course of the contract. These are not guarantees. That is 20 million the Bengals can choose to just. Lapa, how much are you willing uh, out of that to give to Joe Mixon? Are they going to say, we want to restructure you, pay cut you to one year five or two years, 10, no guaranteed? Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? You know, you got to say, if I was cut and I'm not getting anything here, what am I going to get on the open market? Joe Mixon, yep. with everything that's happened with him perception wise the last month, with everything that's happened in his past, with everything that happened with him on the field not being as effective, being older, I mean, who's gonna who's gonna be putting out more than five million dollars for him if they were to go there? Maybe it's a lower number. Maybe they say three. I, I don't know, but that's a question that Joe is gonna have to ask for him when the pay cut offer comes. Is what what is my market? Yeah, and, and I don't know how much it is. Um. But I think the Bengals will, you know, they're not going to be put off by they'll bring they'll bring Mixon back, you know. I don't, I don't they're not going to be put off by anything that's happened perception wise. No, um, Mike never is. So um, that's I think part of this conversation as well. So we'll see where it goes from here. Um, who it ends up being? Rookie comes in mid round pick and is able to work their way in, you know. Like we saw with, whether you're talking about Tyler Algier, Damian Pierce in Houston last year, um, all these guys that came in and after a few weeks of a share or getting their opportunity, turned that they were clearly the better guy and take over the majority of the workload and it moves on that way. You want to have multiple guys anyway. you know. So we'll, we'll see how that room ends up being constituted, but it doesn't look like it's going to be with a more prominent vet like we've you know, seen uh, the the expectation. Maybe it would be. It doesn't. It clearly seems that they're not going that direction at this point, or probably not. Not a more prominent vet, but what about a more prominent rookie? I don't know how much you've been following, but I've been watching, and 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 we'll see when on the the, the athletic beat writer mock. Maybe Bijan Robinson will be sitting there for you at twenty eight. But the more mocks that come out. You see him. A lot of people take have Buffalo taking him at twenty seven. Um, 
it, it, it didn't seem earlier in the offseason like that would even be an option. And now it, it feels like maybe it would. So if B. John Robinson is sitting there at 28, do the Bengals pull the trigger? I don't think so. But boy, it's tempting. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about one of the best prospects since Adrian Peterson at the position, uh, I just, whew. I mean, we'd have to, we'll get more into their big board, you know, as we get closer to the draft of specifically when you start going cross position and you start talking about Bijan Robinson versus, you know, Michael May or Dalton Kincaid or one of the tight ends mm. or, or Dewan Jones, a right tackle versus, uh, one of the corners, you know, so we're, we'll, we'll get into that. I, I still think they trend premium position there. I don't think running back is one that they would go to. Bijan Robinson would certainly test that <laughs> yes. if he was there. I, I have a hard time believing he makes it to them. Maybe he does. I still don't, whew, I still don't think they do it. I just don't, I, I just don't think that they go premium there or non-premium position there. Um, tight end being the exception just because of how empty that room is um, and how how many different types of tight ends are where they could feel like they're getting the one that really is the perfect fit for what they want. Yeah, and it, it, the interesting thing too is the way these mocks change, which, it, I mean, they are what they are, but uh, the first athletic beat writer mock, I took Deontay Banks, the cornerback from Maryland, uh, he's already off the board in, in the one that's that's going on right now where Paul's about to go on the clock fairly soon here. Maybe. Um, so the way these things shift around, you, it's it, I, I still think if I'm if I'm putting down a wager, I still think it's it's tackle is the most likely at 28, even with the Orlando Brown signing. Um, but still got more than a month to go before this actually happens yeah let's get into the draft reset here and one i don't want to do without talking about tight end though as a position there's not a ton Mm -hmm. to update (laughs) to tell you the truth there's not a ton out there other than the Bengals are saying look are you a tight end who is comfortable making three million dollars and would like to make eight next year (laughs) because that's the that is the profile they're looking for i mean they've they've said it from cj to Hayden Hurst, a guy that Joe Burrow can come make you money. Uh, and are you willing to come and play for less than you think you're probably worth this year for the idea that Burrow will get you more next year? Foster Moreau still feels like the fit there. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he went and took a visit to New Orleans this weekend after leaving here, he's from New Orleans, went to Louisiana State, played with Burrow. Didn't sign there. It feels like a, hey, Bengals, quit trying to make me sign for three and a half. I'm going to go visit those Saints, okay? <laughs> you know that's where I'm from, right? And the guys are always playing those games this time of year, trying to get whatever they can out of it. I don't think the Bengals are going to budge off their price. I still think that gets done, and maybe it's changed behind our back as we're talking right now. I still think Moreau ends up getting done. It makes too much sense. It's too easy for b- all sides. Yeah. If you're a tight end, you're still sitting out there. You play with Burrow, man. Like <laughs> it'll work out for you. Um, you. You came in, you took the visit. And maybe there's from a Bengals perspective, maybe there's not somebody that you feel like can come in. But if if they don't sign Murrow, if something happens, they don't feel like they got what they want out of tight end. Maybe then that pushes that up the board to 
more want to go for that in the first round with this class. Um, there certainly will be options there, but I don't know. To me, again, if we were run, pass, or booting, uh, I think Moreau is probably on the roster and probably their opening day starter there too. How about this run, pass, or boot? Uh, opening day starter at tight end is free agent. So Moreau or other first round pick, other round pick. Hmm. I think I would boot first round pick. I just going off of what Brian said at the combine. That's that's not a position that that I think that they they are. I don't want to say they're not interested, but not likely to take in that early in the first round. Um, you know who also came in for a visit and left and still signed was Nick Scott. So yeah. you, you don't you don't rule out the Foster Moreau thing yet. No. Um, and then do, you know do. The, the point of what Brian was saying is get a mid-round tight end with traits that you can develop. Are you comfortable starting that guy? And I don't think so as much as it would be getting a free agent. And and one that it kind of intrigues me, even beyond Foster Moreau, is Irv Smith. I don't he, – he has almost no production so far just because of the, the way things worked out in the in the Minnesota offense, but he's a second round pick out of Alabama. Spot rack has his value at ten million per year. That's not going to happen at this point. Um, is he a guy that the the Bengals would be interested in? Um, but whoever that is, I I I would run with with a with a free agent and then pass on other round pick and and I'll boot first round pick. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, I will probably, I'd run with, I think I'd run with that. Um, I, I will pass on first round pick and boot other round mm. pick. I, 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 I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's a, just, just so many guys. I think you, you can get both with this draft, right? Traits that you can develop and polished enough to come in and play immediately with this many guys, that are here. It's just wild. But, uh, you know, but then you can talk about Tucker Craft or Sam Laporta. Some of these guys that are going to be available in the second round um, that can come in and be your Cam Taylor Britt of the tight end position where maybe they don't play immediately, but they're really looking good by the end of the year and, and they're around. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of time to get to that where t- I think tight end is kind of a wild card in that respect. But I, I think you just because there's so there are going to be quality players there available at every level of however they want to go and that's important will that push better players down the board will that have a guy who maybe would be a first round some years be available at number 60 because there's a lot of teams that are going to say there's so many I'll get one yeah. right uh and that's that's an important thing to keep in the back of your mind as well so let's take that conversation jay and let's reset this draft Okay, um, let's rank. How about we do it this way? Because we got to game it up. We got to game this up <laughs> a little bit. Let's rank our top three likeliest positions selected at each round of the draft. We'll go through the fourth. Okay, so I'll start first round. Most likely, I'm going to go. Right tackle, corner, tight end is my one, two, three. I'm keeping defensive line off the board 
You know why, Jay? Why? Because that was going to be my third pick. 22 years since they have selected a defensive lineman in the first round. Justin Smith. Justin Smith might be collecting Social Security at this point. 22 years since they have taken a defensive lineman in the first round. Only three in the second round since Justin Smith. It was Carlos Dunlap, Devin Still, and Margus Hunt on a three and four years run that they did early in the tens. This crew has never selected a defensive lineman in the first or second round. Would they have taken George Karloftis as he was there last year? I think probably. Or Devontae Wyatt? I think probably. Um, so I'm not saying it as definitive. I'm just, just saying when you look at what they've always done in value, where they feel like they can hit, um, it makes me push defense. If I'm saying most likely to happen, it makes me push defensive line, an obvious premium position of need down the board for me in round one. So history is always an important variable when you're talking about the Bengals, but there's a there's an apples and oranges element to this because number one, the, those last 22 years, they've never picked this late in the first round. Number two, you the, these guys are freaks now. I mean, you, the, the the way that these defensive linemen, particularly on the interior, are testing and performing once they get in the league. I, I mean, I, it's just there's there's so many more options out there. Um, I I'm with you as far as tackle, cornerback, top two options, but I I I would go D line uh, and, and specifically interior D line as my third option there in, in round one. Yeah. I, there's certainly going to be dudes. I yes. mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's certainly going to be guys there. Yeah. And, and you, and I think receiver is, is not out of the question. I mean, I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba's was going to make it down. I mean, he would be in a perfect world, a Bengals uh, pick, but you never know. They could really, they're, they, they, they are pretty damn good at evaluating receivers. And if they fall in love with mm. a guy or really feel like he can be the future of what they want to do, I think they, they would be willing to pull the trigger there. I just don't think that exists for them. And I could be wrong. Maybe it, maybe something bubbles up, but I don't, I don't know that that match exists outside of Smith and Jigba again, because I think they're looking for the Tyler Boyd of the future, which is why I love Jaden Reed for them later in the draft or somebody like that. Who's a clear slot guy as, as their future, um, in this league. Um, second round. Okay. I'm going tight end one corner two, going with the full encore of the cam Taylor Britt success story <laughs> wide receiver three. And maybe I should put receiver over tight end there with their history of second round receivers and success of second round receivers. Um, and again, D line, I have it next. I push right tackle off because I don't think they're going to see a right tackle, feel like there's a right tackle of the yeah. future for them at 60. So I push that off. I think right tackle is a first-round selection. Yeah. Otherwise, they have pieces in-house they can work with. Um, so I'll say if they didn't hit the corner in the first, that's in the mix. Tight end corner. Receiver with receiver D-line kind of being uh, a, a bit of a pick em, a coin toss, if you will. Yeah, I, wide receiver is my number one, and then 
I would I would go D line, but I guess it would be contingent upon whether they they took my first pick in the first round. Sure, if they go D line in the first round, then the, that's well, yeah, that the changes board things. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I don't know about tight end. It's 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 more in play in the second round than the first. Uh, I still wonder if you know. I mean, do they? We've talked about this. Do they go running back in the second round? They've had such good success there with that position. Um, or do they wait till mid rounds? I guess, I guess I'll do the same as you, but just kind of in a different order. And I'll, I'll put tight end as my third option there. Um, man, it, it's tough you know, without knowing what they do in the first round. It is tough, but that's the point. You're, um, you're, kind, you're, yeah. you're just kind of putting them all together. And I think you end up with a cross section of a pretty good feel for what the first three or four rounds, uh, yes. end up, end up looking, looking like, but it does feel like. Wide receiver is two, the second round, and that feels like a, a, a really good fit, unless, as you said, Smith and Jigba happens to fall to them. In the You're first. still, you know, because you have all of, you don't have the immediate, I guess tight end would be your most immediate um, need in this scenario. You mm-hmm. don't have that. Like, you don't have that pressure. You have a bunch of premium positions that you need to think about long run. And I think that's a great spot to be in to get best player available value. And I think it makes this exercise hard hmm. because you can make a you can make an argument for DJ Reader's future replacement. You hmm. can make an argument for Chidabe Awuzie's replacement in 2024. You can make an argument for Tyler Boyd's replacement. You can make an argument for right tackle early. You can make all these arguments because it's real. I mean, the 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 best pay, player available at premium positions is going to pay dividends for them soon, just like Dax Hill did last year. Although premium versus non-premium, but you were talking about having thinking about the future with Jesse Bates. So I just think it, it does keep them wide open. So let's go to third round. D-line one. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's go. If we're going history and need and the combination of all of those, you hit that third and fourth round, baby, and they are looking for defensive linemen. They are looking mm-hmm. to play that game again. Love it. Over and over and over again, this this team has succeeded and, and loved trying to go into that spot uh, for D-linemen, edge, defensive tackles, you name it. Uh, so D-line to me in the third round. Uh, tight end is available again that first two rounds go by and they didn't get the tight end that's definitely a tight end pick i'd be stunned if they got to saturday without having a tight end right yeah it's good when you consider like daniel dare jeremiah said 11 <laughs> tight ends that he has with top three round grades um i'd be stunned if they did not come away from this draft with one of those 11 so to speak one of the top 10 tight ends in this deep draft for it. Um, and then I'll put receiver third um, with running back just off the map, I think kind of hovering in the distance now if the right guy is sitting there. Can I go D-line three rounds in a row? Sure, um, you could do whatever you want. We, 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 it's clear it, it, where you think they need yes, to be going. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, because and you could double up that. I mean, you could get an interior guy and you get an edge guy. Um, so I will I'll stick with them there. Uh, go receiver second and then... The old Bengals fallback, that third round linebacker, even though it's not a premium as much of a premium position, do do they treat this kind of like the Dax Hill Jesse Bates succession? Where if if they're not in case they're not able to get anything done with Logan Wilson extension wise, do they do they get a, a linebacker of the future, or do they feel good enough about Akeem Davis Gaither and and skip that position? 
Um, I, I, I don't know that that would be the way they would go, but it just signing Pratt definitely solidifies half of that room, but I still wonder the, the way they look at succession, um, with, with a lot of these positions, if, if linebacker wouldn't be in play in the third round. Okay, Jay, I'm willing to make a make a proposition bet here for you. Okay. okay. If the Bengals select a third round linebacker, I will personally record and sing the open to hear that podcast growling for the, the post draft show. <laughs> That's not happening. I did I in a world where they just gave Jermaine Pratt a long deal. I think they're planning on getting an extension done with Logan. They've got all these young guys in a non-premium when they have all these other needs. I just don't see it. I will sing it. I will hear that. I will go all the way. I'll do the jazz version. Which Yeah, I was going to say, which genre? I will do the jazz version. Okay, you guys hear it. Yes. I mean, I feel like there should be something I get on the other end, but I'm willing. That's how confident I am. I'm willing to say I don't even need a payoff if, if I'm right. Just, just knowing that I'm, that's what I'm saying. I will, I will yeah. sing it, mark it down. Cause I, I would never make that bet of in any, no, because I, I do think it, I'm putting it third. And even that is a bit of a stretch. I I'm just kind of surmising what might be a succession plan there, uh, which honestly, if you're toss, talking succession, maybe corner, even though I've done, I've had them on the list in the first and the second round, if they don't get one in the first or second round, obviously corner is is going to be that number three spot right well yeah and if you're looking for you know you look at what we saw last year and Tariq Wolin was a unique fit in Seattle but super traits based guy who's raw who can be in the background learning and you hope maybe by next year he's he's a real guy um, I mean, who knows? And maybe you get something like Woolen that just comes out of nowhere and, and they actually are, are, are good immediately in your particular system. Maybe there's something there on the corner spot. I still think that's one where they're, they want those guys early. Like they just, they would prefer to have the guys that are already ready that have a certain level of play, a reason they trade up for Cam Taylor Britt. Cause those, they know that you're just not finding something like that later in the draft. And at that position, I think it's one of the first two rounds or they're out of the business um, of it. Um, Okay. Fourth round, I think it's a kind of a conglomeration of a lot of other ones. I'll start with running back. Yeah. Um, You know, with, with, if it doesn't get done in the third, I think in the fourth, it comes the beginning of, you know, this is a deep draft running back too. And it's, and we've seen a lot, you know, you go through recent years um, and and you can see uh, fourth round running backs. Here's some from Damian Pierce last year. Fourth round, um, Isaiah Spiller, Michael Carter, Ramondre Stevenson, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Josh Kelly, DJ Dallas has had some moments. Tony Pollard, Naheem Hines, all of these guys from recent drafts in the fourth round. I mean, these are these are the types of names that are showing up there that, quite frankly, quickly have become major players in this league and guys receiving contracts. Also on this list, Mark Walton. Hear that podcast growling favorite, Mark. Mark, you there? Mark. Mark. 
<laughs> flashback for those of you. That's an inside joke for those of you that have our longtime <laughs> listeners to the uh, to the program. Back to the Mark Walton 2018 draft where we were on a conference call trying to get Mark Walton on the phone at his party. And at his party was wild. And somebody was trying <laughs> to find Mark because the Bengals were on the phone. And they were freaking out. We should have known. Should have known right then. This was trouble. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I think that uh, D-line and receiver still in the mix at that point, depending on what happens, you're, you're looking still looking for guys. Although I think receiver in that second or third round feels more flush for them. But um, you know, they're, whoever that could be, they're, they're Romeo Dobbs, right? The guy who went off around that, that area last year um, who, who could be acquired. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Does that sound about right? Yeah, running back, uh, tight end. A lot of love for Zach Kuntz in the uh, in the chat right now, and uh, he was a guy on on my my sure. first seven round mock. I had the Bengals taking in the fourth round, the tight end out of Old Dominion. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I would go receiver third um, if if they don't get one early enough. To... I'm trying to think if there's another. Yeah, I'll go there. I, I mean, I wonder. They they are set at center with Ted Karras. He's everything they expected. He but he he he's got two years left on his deal. They don't have a backup center. I mean, who if anything happens to Ted, which almost did in that Buffalo game, Trey Hill's still there. The Trey Hill disrespect from you. I mean, he he got a shot early as a rookie and it did not go well. Maybe they liked maybe him. He's, they liked him yeah. in camp last year enough. I mean, they liked him. They they thought he was he was gr- growing a little bit to the point that you know they were even thinking you know center guard uh, mix there I I I think they still feel like the arrow is a little up on Hill where they're comfortable with him as a backup to me though if something happened mm-hmm. to Karras and Camp they're out there trying to find a veteran yeah I mean I don't think they're they're if they have to do a full season but I think they're comfortable with Trey Hill's our backup center for now yeah. for now. I mean, he could be like Jackson Carmen, where you see this improvement and this maturity going on in the background at practice, which we're not privy to outside of stretching. And uh, you, you just don't realize the leap is being made because you don't actually see them on the field. Um, but I, I, he's just a big question mark in my mind. And um, that's kind of a, a spot where you could get a, an interior O lineman in that in that middle round that could be a, a backup and then an eventual succession. Yeah. Uh Obviously, a lot more on the draft coming your way. We've got, <laughs> we're putting our plan together for all of the content we're going to give you guys throughout April as we lead up to it. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of fun guests planned and a lot of good ideas that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Uh, but we'll be obviously deep diving into all of this stuff as we go through April. So keep it locked in for then. Um, thanks, everybody that's been dropping their questions in. We will get to those here in a second. In the meantime, let's do Arby's before we uh, before we wrap it up with some Q and A. Jay, I've, I'll start. So I want to I want to point out. So the Orlando Brown story came out and became a thing, and that's great. I'm very happy. I was really happy with the way it came out and came together. And sometimes stories just fall together for you, you know, like mm-hmm. it just everything kind of fell in line and was really thrilled to be able to to have it be what it became. But it also became just a breeding ground for fans to yell at each other, which is just enjoyable to watch. <laughs> it's interesting how the it was like, okay, so you have you have angry chief fan was very prevalent at first, okay? <laughs> and then you have 
Raven fan also in the mix. So the best part about the best part about the athletic is, of course, we have everybody under the umbrella where they all see this stuff and get tagged on it on their feeds. And so you get a lot of cross section across fan bases that are, you know, maybe they're reading Jeff's readback every day, but all of a sudden they see this and they come in and they hop in the comments and why these Chiefs fans are wrong. And (laughs) what are these Bengals fans thinking? And, and, and then, and like Browns fan shows up just because it's the AFC North and they're yelling about Deshaun Watson. And it's like it, the back and forth starts there because, because Raven fan and, and Browns fan are really at odds over the Deshaun Watson contract. Like they're yelling a lot because Lamar and then the Chiefs fans and all these people hate each other. And then every Bengals fan is like, look, this guy is our guy. He's amazing. And everyone yells. Each other. I could not believe it. I, I, I was just getting updates because I don't like to read the comments too much when they get like that. Um, but I was getting updates how hilarious it was. And then obviously in my mentions, it was hotness. That's uh, Twitter. I'm used to that. I'm, I'm used yeah. to that. But one thing came up that I just wanted to, that made me laugh. But one thing came up that I wanted to address. And that is people taking exception with the use of franchise left tackle. And that's fine. Uh, like I, I, you know, thought through that wording myself. Um, how, how are we going to reference Orlando Brown as far as who they landed? It, th- this is not saying he's Trent Williams or Laramie Tunsil. And in fact, he's being paid as the now 18th highest tackle in the NFL and ele- 11th highest left tackle, which is referenced specifically and spelled out and charted out in story. That said, a few points here in deciding to go with the wording of franchise left tackle. He called himself a franchise left tackle. Yes. He was offered $129 million last year by the Kansas city chiefs. He was franchise tagged by the Kansas city chiefs. (laughs) It's in the name of the tag. Okay. So when we talk about how are we referencing people, how are you viewing them? What are they? We can debate levels. Okay, if you want to, he's being paid on, I think, a bargain as the number 11 left tackle. Are you a franchise? <laughs> you would like someone who's in the top 10 to 15 at left tackle. To me, that's that's franchise. We're not. There's not three franchise left tackles. Okay, franchises need them. Are you in the top 10? That's what you that's what, to me. That's how I categorize it. And then when you throw in the fact he was franchise tagged, he was offered 129 million. He called himself a franchise left tackle. That's why we're using that wording. So I just when people start going in on that, no, should have been mid left tackle. Okay, <laughs> fine. But there's a reason that wording was used because it's been it was part of it, you know, really throughout his entire time. And finding somebody that is at the floor level of Orlando Brown is hard to do debate his ceiling what you want the consistent level that you get when you look at what left tackle play is in this league or tackle play in general is in this league that is so valuable that's what to me that's almost what franchise left tackles are when a world of no donkeys right i mean it doesn't have to be anthony munoz but if you can promise me it won't it won't be jonah williams Mm mm-hmm and that's saying something. That's that's not an insult to Jonah. I think that's valuable. And that's where and, franchise comes from. And I know Pro Bowl is what it is, but four yeah. Pro four Bowls time. in the last five years, I mean. Yeah. I do hate the rail on the Pro Bowl, so I hate to even use it. But you're right. You're right. right. I mean, 
nobody, I don't know if there's any other tackles that could say that or how many other could say that. I mean, it's, it's all right there. And he did, he, he, he said that's his, that's his goal. And I think that's why maybe the Browns fans, not just the Deshaun Watson thing, but the, his tie with his dad playing for the Browns. Maybe that drew some Browns uh, fans into the article just to read about uh, Orlando jr. And got them all riled up. Yeah. Uh, comments on your story, by the way, up to three eleven. So I don't know if, if that's a record for you. I don't even know if we I, track that as a metric, but we do. That's a I'd lot. have to look. I'd have to look. I'd have to find that in a hurry. And I don't think I have my metrics <laughs> open most common. I'm sure there are some that have made people yell at each other, but I just, uh, this one was one that was sort of a conglomeration of many uh, different fan bases that came together to yell at each other. And I, I appreciate that. Uh, okay. Let's so go. Mine. Uh, oh yeah. Go ahead. My, yeah. My Arby's from, was from yesterday from Nick Scott's uh, presser. Um, and I waited till it was over, but I guess the live stream was still running. So, uh, Lindsay Patterson pointed out that she, she was laughing at, at my question. This is after it's over. Um, you, everybody says, thank you. And a lot of times the, the person doing the press conference just gets up and leaves immediately. But like we said, Nick had his wife and his, his son in the room and he just kind of sat there. And as we approached to grab our recorders, I just said, Hey, how's your ping pong game? And uh, he said, pretty good, actually. Who's good here? He was already scouting. He wanted to know who the good guys were. And Paul points out, uh, well, I said Trent Taylor. And then Paul points out that Trent Taylor won the NFL championship last year. And, and Nick says, oh, I'm not trying to lose any money. So it, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if he gets in on these matches. And uh, it, I, I'm sure they will, if he's good, uh, they will rope him into it. And um, just another interesting thing to watch. Uh, I don't know how much. You guys care about the ping pong matches in the locker room. We find them fascinating. It's it's not just the the, the difference in skill level, but the the uh, banter that goes back and forth. And um, T- Tyler Boyd, an all time trash talker in ping pong. It's just it's very entertaining to watch when you're not doing interviews. When you are doing interviews, it's a little problematic with the pink, pink, pink back and forth, and the screaming and the yelling. Uh, but it is a part of this locker room culture, and just a uh, just wanted to get Nick's early impressions or his uh, early assessment on his skill at ping pong. Um, yeah, I mean it's going to be tough competition. And I mean Burrow's in that mix. Bur- mm-hmm. Burrow Burrow notably improved uh, as the year. I mean that's just kind of like standard Joe Burrow stuff. He's decided he wanted to be mm-hmm. great at ping pong this year, and by the end he he was up there. Him and Trent Taylor going going at it. Yeah, well. Mitch, number two, Mitch Wilcox, number two, mm. still out there as a free agent. If he doesn't yeah. come back, then that automatically elevates Burrow to yeah, one of the, the big Yeah, ra- the rankings, the rankings will alter. Charlie Goldsmith is our resident uh, expert <laughs> on all things Bengals ping pong, and it's, uh, nobody, nobody gets deeper into it than Charlie. So uh, we'll have to make sure we'll check back in with him when he gets back uh, from Arizona with the Reds at the Inquirer. Uh, all right, let's go through a few questions here, and we'll get out of here. Um, right, let's start. Uh, let's see. What's this? Colin Wayne Scott here. Run passer boot. Mixon renegotiated. Jonah traded or Collins cut. Those three. So uh, run, I, run, run, run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's just it. Which is the yeah. most likely? I, I, I'm running with Mixon renegotiated. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess is that saying he. He doesn't say I'm not going to renegotiate and just gets cut himself. That makes it. A, I guess it makes it a little. I'm still going to say mix and renegotiated number one. Um, I, I am. I'm going to pass. Next most likely would be 
that's hard between Collins cut and Jonah traded. I, I'm going to pass on Collins cut. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pass on Jonah trade. I'm going to say the most like the least likely thing. Now I'm confusing myself here, Jay. What am I doing? I, I think Collins is going to get cut. So I'm going to pass on that. I, I think that's more likely than Jonah being traded. Yeah, I, I have the same order. I, I think they would like for Collins to come back and be their right tackle. The the reason I would boot Jonah is it's, I mean, it's one thing for the Bengals to try to trade him. It's one thing to actually pull it off. I mean, it's a it's a two-way street. And if, if you're not, it's just like free agency. If they're not getting the value they want, they're not going to do it. They're not going to have their hand be forced. Um, even if Collins is healthy, even if they draft the right tackle of the future, if if they don't get, what they see as value for Jonah Williams, then they're going to hang on to him. Um, that that two, that twelve point six is guaranteed. You can't just cut him and have that money come off the books. So they're not going to cut him and, and pay him to not play. And who's willing to to take on the twelve point six million this year without some sort of guarantee that you're going to have Jonah beyond this year? It would probably be a sign and trade type of thing. But uh, it's just it's there's so many moving pieces there. It makes it hard. That's that's the main reason I would boot that one, because it's not just totally a Bengals decision. So, I mean, you guys have versions of this question up in here, obviously. So we'll just kind of talk about Jonah. Um, You know, there's a there's a bunch of Jonah questions in here. So let's Mm -hmm. when we've talked about it a little bit, but I, I just as far as the timing of this, there's no rush. The, the Bengals are in no rush. Like you said, that is $12.6 million that's on the books. He plays or they're able to offload it. Now, could they pull a trade where they might have to eat some of it? Well, I'm sure they'd be willing to if they felt like they were getting enough back in return. What is that? Is that so? Is that draft weekend? Is that a mid-round pick swap? Is that uh, a third-round pick or a second-round pick after they take Dewan Jones in round one? Are they like, okay, we now have Dewan Jones, the potential of Lowell Collins coming back, Cody Ford. Uh, You feel like you can get by at – you're in a good spot at right tackle if that's what you feel. If that's the case, then maybe then you're you're unloading Jonah to somebody who didn't get the tackle that they wanted and they have money. Maybe that's the case. I think more than likely for me is that – they're looking to take advantage of a team that's desperate in camp when an injury happens and they know more about Collins. Mm-hmm. I just think they want to be sure because here's the thing that won't happen. Jonah Williams and Lel Collins will not both be on this roster. Yeah. So you're saving at least six and change actually more than that. If you look at a post June one situation with whatever the injury settlement will be, the details on that can would get worked out, but you get to camp and you, f- you see which situation is going to give you either Collins playing early in the season or Jonah playing early in the season. Um, and, and the other one is either cut in the case of Collins or traded in the case of Jonah to collect that money and maybe a player-for-player player deal for somebody that's desperate or something like that. You're trying to go Billy Price for B.J. Hill just on a little bit of a larger level. I, there's a couple different options. To me, I... That one stands out to me is that they're just not going to leave themselves in a lurch. And there's too many unknowns there right now until they have more knowns. 
I, I, I don't see them trading away something that could very well be their best option. And in my opinion, currently is their best option at right tackle. So we did the um, who is the opening day starter at running back, run, pass, or boot. Let, let's not do run, pass, or boot style, but just percentage-wise. Mm, what man. percentage chance is Jonah Williams your starting right tackle on week in week one? Boy, that's a hard one. 53. Ooh. I would go a little higher. But just because they, they're not going to be forced into anything, and I'm with you, I, I – I don't know where Leal is going to be uh, coming on. I mean, when he's and, and if Christmas they ha- if they if they do have yeah Christmas Eve, if they do have a pick, Jonah's got to win that battle. He's got to mm-hmm. prove he can move over to right, or maybe he's just the swing. Mm-hmm. He's got to win on top of them keeping him. He's got to win it. And that's a big. That's an expensive swing tackle. Franchise swing tackle. <laughs> but again uh there's just i just think right now there's a let's let this thing play out a little bit and and get a little bit more clarity before anybody wants to make any moves that's why you know there's reports out there of them making deals quickly that doesn't make any sense to me from a Bengals perspective and it, it certainly doesn't fit their profile who they've ever been uh, all right, so that's a little bit of our Jonah conversation. Um, let's see, Steve Ward, how often do you guys use the draft simulator on PFF? Jay, are you a PFF draft simulator person? I mean, not just for fun, but when I did my um, my seven-round mock, that's what I used just to kind of get a realistic expectation. You don't what realize what – or you don't – understand what these other team needs are especially that deep in the draft if you're doing a seven rounder that's that's really the only way i would say the only way but that's the best way to do it see who's who's coming off the board and who's actually realistically available i know um the the running back um from Tulane. i've seen a lot of people mocking him in the fourth round uh we took him off the board as an option in the third round in our choose your own adventure i just I think you have to be realistic with a, with a lot of these picks and the the PFF. It's not it's not an exact science, but um, it's it's a really good um, guideline to see who might be available in those fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I'm I'm always surprised when you get into those later rounds. I mean, certain guys slide that you don't think that PFF would have a second round grade on and there they are in the mm-hmm. fifth or sixth or anybody i mean that's not just that's not about them i mean that's about any of these when you start getting that deep um there's stuff that people don't know there's there's just the way the league feels about certain guys or things you you, you never know how this. so it's, it's hard to do the later rounds i find and try to be really accurate and it ends up being way off and you're and you're surprised um and then people say oh that guy slipped or was a bust well just because there was a couple of services that that thought that they should be in a different place, and I love PFF. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a I am a devout, uh, you know, believer in what they do. That said, I mean, you, you it's it's hard to be specific, especially with running back um, when it's deep and there's a lot of different styles. Uh, yeah. You just you just you just never know. Um, 
Tom Jones. I believe the Bengals are looking secretly again. Interior pass rusher like a Geno Atkins. We used to have outside rotation is okay. Reader Hill run stuffers. Hopefully we can get a second for Jonah, maybe a third. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this since the beginning, Jay, that that the the second, third window, want to play for a winner, would make a lot of sense in the back of the defensive line room um, as somebody who you can pair with B.J. Hill. Um, there's guys out. Matt Ioannidis is still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's players. I think there, there are defensive tackles, three techs of that mold that could be good rotationally that still have a year left or so that you could see them bringing into the mix. We thought we've kind of pinpointed that since the very beginning. And they talk all the time about you guys that you know what they are versus the the roll of the dice on on what these rookies are. And I could see, yeah, them getting a guy like that in free agency, and then still getting a rookie and just giving that guy more time to to develop and and learn. I mean, that's that's the one those interior D line and offensive linemen. That's the one position where it's a it's a big jump. From the NFL to to or from the college to the NFL, you know the receivers, the DBs. It's it's faster, but the the strength of grown men that have been doing this for their job versus guys guys in college, it's a it's a big big adjustment. And so I, I think you could double up there, get a get a quali- quality mid level D lineman in free agency. And and then double down and and get. I still think I don't think that would change what we did on our exercise there. I still think D line would be in play in first, second, and third round. Yeah. Um, another point brought up here by Jacob Leroy is I like to double up at tight end in this draft. Take a Michael Mayer in round one and Zach Kuntz towards the end. Uh, boy, just get. The Bengals double up is a standard operating procedure for them, particularly in years when they need guys. I think that's something that particularly becomes viable as the call it the Croft Uzama scenario, yep. um, where if you don't, if they don't spend a first or second round pick on a tight end, you could see the two swings approach where it's a third and a mid and a, and a day three at some point, both dedicated to tight end, potentially trade back at some point to add picks and pile on also in play for them. I mean, maybe it will get more into the potential of them trading back. I saw people talking about them trading up here. They're just not a trade up team. Mm-hmm. They're in, not in the first round specifically. Um, I mean, Duke lost his mind talking about the fact that he hated that he traded up three spots in the second round last year, something they never does. And certainly in a year where they need more picks, not less, um, are they going to come up in the first round? I could see them going back, trying to add mids, getting some double swings in there uh, at the tight end position where it's so deep and there's a lot of guys with traits. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, a great point, Jacob, uh, on that one. Um, all right, so... That's most of these. Here's a lot of lot of conversation happening. After that, we'll let it go. All right, Jay. Um, <laughs> so we're kind of in a little bit of an emergency mode the rest of the week. We'll see what happens if any more signings pop off or any news the rest of this week. Otherwise, Jay's off to Arizona to the owners' meetings next week. There will be news coming out of there. Make sure you are following him as he's got all things taken care of. I'm taking a week off while Jay takes the the, the Arizona front and center talking to ownership, but I'll be back. We'll be back next week with a lot of that conversation. So make sure you keep it locked into the podcast next week. You'll get to hear 
from Katie and Troy and uh, and ownership in Arizona on a number of important topics. Obviously, there's a ton of stuff out there between the Mixon and the Burrow deal and T Higgins and the free agency and and uh, everything that obviously happened with the um, the survey by the PA and yelling at the league and boy, there's a lot to cover. Uh, so uh, you'll, there's going to be a lot of good topics to hear from them uh, and us and, and we'll be one of the few people that will be out there talking to them. So make sure you keep it locked to hear that podcast growl next week and we'll react to all of that stuff, if not sooner. So, all right. Thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Everybody.